Okay, with AJ Martinson, The End of Blindness is the feature film. It's about a doctor, Samuel Bora, who is trying to prevent blindness in the country, like preventable blindness in the country. Quite the movie, quite the uh, inspiring movie. The first question I have for you, AJ, is when did you first meet Samuel Bora, your lead character, I guess, in the documentary? Yeah, well, I've actually been volunteering with the uh, nonprofit that helps support Dr. Samuel's work uh, since I was about 16. Um, they actually got me involved in the um, in the film industry to begin with. It was one of my very first documentaries. Right when I was getting interested in being a filmmaker, uh, they brought me to Ethiopia, uh, and I filmed a small documentary on something called podoconiosis, which is this rare foot disease. And how old uh, were you then? 16. Yeah. <laughs> that was your first film. That was my, like one of my very, I mean, like a couple of shorts before then, like I knew how to turn the camera on, but pretty much the very first thing I shot. Wow. Yeah. And, and that got me hooked on a couple of things, filmmaking, number one. Um, and number two, you know, volunteering with THAF because uh, they needed media and they kept bringing me back to Ethiopia uh, ever since. Um, and so I went with them in, I believe it was 2017 when I first met Dr. Samuel. Um, they had an eye program there before. I'd gone in 2011 and filmed a little bit for their eye program, but Dr. Samuel came along after that. And so they wanted to go show, you know, they actually just wanted to make a three minute video to show the work that he was doing. But when we got there, uh, I started talking with him and seeing him do 60 cataract surgeries in a day. And- How is that uh, even possible? Yeah, well, um, cataract surgery, there, it, it's possible because Dr. Samuel's an excellent surgeon, first of all. Um, cataract surgery is a very quick procedure, but when you do high volume cataract surgery, you can get it down to about five or six minutes. Oh, wow. Can, okay. Yeah. And um, so he can churn out 60 a day. The crazy thing about Dr. Samuel is he's doing a different technique than here in the United States. Um, so here we do what's called phacoemulsification. You pulverize the eye with an ultrasound and it removes the cataract. You suck it out whole. You can't do that in Ethiopia. The cataracts are too thick because this has been something that this person has had for years and years and years to the point they are totally blind. And in uh, that just doesn't happen in the United States at all. We have cataracts. We go and get it fixed in you know a couple of months. So Dr. Samuel... Uh, he has to do a different technique, uh, but it's a safer technique. It's a better technique for these thick eyes. He makes a small, tiny incision. You can actually see the cataract come out as a whole piece that slides right out of the eye, and then he puts the new cataract lens in. It's a beautiful thing to watch. It's really, really dramatic. And uh, patients go in completely blind, and they come out with 20-20 uh, vision the next day. So it's incredible absolutely incredible and and that's what really inspired me when i watched him doing that and and you know these patients they are just heartbroken and hopeless you know in the united states we have social programs to help people who are blind we have a lot of ways to make life better but in ethiopia they don't even have things like seeing eye dogs so they use what's called a seeing eye guide which is very often a child usually very young that child can't go to school, they can't go to work, they can't play, they are stuck leading their blind grandparent, their blind relative around day in, day out. It's mm. absolutely heartbreaking. And uh, 
you know, you have the cataract surgery and the next day grandpa can see, and now two lives are completely changed forever. So I just want to give people some uh, quick stat because it's in, it's in your film. So 1.6 million uh, percent of the people, 1.6% of the people in Ethiopia are blind. And then, but 80% of that one sick, 1.6% can be treated. Correct. Yep. Is, is treatable or preventable. Um, and so, and the majority of that's just simply cataracts. Um, yeah. Okay. So take, take me back. So you, you were 16 years old, what prompted you, uh, or your parents to, to go to Ethiopia to volunteer? Well, we, I, I was always grown up with a, a mindset of trying to, you know, wanting to help people. And they, they, my parents always emphasized, you know, look for opportunities that you can use your gifts and your talents to make a positive impact on the world. Um, and we had known as a family, the founder of Tropical Health Alliance Foundation, it's a doctor by the name of Dr. Larry Thomas. And uh, he was an avid photographer and he was very interested in film and in media. And so when I became interested in it, you know, and this is before Instagram, before Facebook, before people were really getting high quality video, unless you had a giant marketing budget yeah. of their nonprofits, um, kind of the dawn of web 2.0 era. Um, and so he, when, when he saw I was getting interested in video, he said, why don't you come over with me and we can make some documentaries and see how it goes. And that totally changed the whole course of my life. <laughs> what do you think motivated him to, to, to seek you out and say that to you? Well, like I said, we'd been family friends. So he kind of just had been watching me grow up. And, gotcha. You know, so he had an emotional attachment to your parents and liked your parents and had it to the shining to you, I guess. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's kind of incredible. You live in, you're from Pasadena, Pasadena, California. Yep. Okay. So that's like, people don't know. That's like a suburb of, um, of Los Angeles. Six feet under, they filmed six feet under right there, right? Yeah, and tons of other stuff. Uh, I, my, I just, six feet under jumps out for me because they really <laughs> kind of made that a character, Pasadena character in the show, so. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it was great. It was good, good place to grow up wanting to be a filmmaker because I got my first job at uh, Warner Brothers by walking onto a set in my neighborhood and going, hi, can I talk to the unit production manager? And then I was a PA for Clint Eastwood for a while, so... <laughs> <laughs> worked so, out nicely. What did you do? You worked on some of his films then or? Yeah, if, uh, I, I was the costume warehouse PA on Jersey Boys, which is the uh, the most entry level PA. It's one step above scrubbing floors. But, no, 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 no. The, 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 the entry level is the cone person on the street. That's the first, <laughs> that's the entry level job. Have you ever done that job where you had to stay, stay at nighttime for when you're no. shooting the location the next day to make sure that nobody parks where the, where the transport trucks are going to be? Thankfully, I was never on the night watch. That's you're right. There was one step below costume, and that I was did that, that job. So, so I just did you really? Fun. Yeah, I did that <laughs> job for a year. I'm just pointing that out. So, oh my gosh, that's crazy, man. <laughs> okay, so then, so how many films? So basically, did you like? So you did a few shorts with with uh, Samuel, kind of, and then and then like, what did before you done this feature? Have you made a feature before this? Yeah. So I worked on. Um, it's a it's a narrative Cold War spy thriller, so not a documentary, but it's called okay. Black Mark. Um, and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment picked that up uh, back in, I think, actually in 2017. So we were selling that film at the con market and I flew to con and then I had the nonprofit reroute me from, you know, the con market and con film festival to Ethiopia. So I went from like 
the lap of like Parisian luxury to the jungle of Ethiopia within 24 hours. And that was a, that was a pretty big trip to do that. Like, you know, uh, switcheroo. So that was my first film that I, uh, that I wrote, directed and produced. And then the end of blindness is the follow-up, um, you know, kind of switching documentary. And then I think we have another feature in the hopper right now that's coming up next. So I like to ping pong between the two. Yeah, we'll talk about two different types of films, right? This is more of a conspiracy action adventure film, the Black Mark. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, I love Cold War stuff, so that's where that came about. <laughs> so. Gotcha. It's funny, I just finished watching all of the Americans for the first time. I never watched the show. I just started watching in the last couple of months, so. So good. Small, small world that, that happened. Yeah, it's, I, it was incredible. I was kind of blown away by it. Okay. So what stands out for your for your view uh, the end of blindness is is the is the cinematography. There's some really amazing shots that kind of set sets up kind of your narrative, even at the beginning, where you kind of get us emotionally involved with these two older characters and the way you kind of show the lighting and the in the and the fire. And then you kind of like have these like waving shots of the masses. And so it's just so it's so interesting the way you kind of like photograph like this this world and these people because you kind of went from the micro to the macro like where you're giving us individual stories and then you kind of give this us this macro kind of like over ideal in the film so just curiosity what what your kind of cinematic design was did you shoot a lot of the footage or did you have somebody else shooting with you what was the process with that Oh, that, so that's, that's really a good question. So we went in, like I said, thinking we were just going to shoot a three minute video. So I, I've done a lot of international run and gun guerrilla style shooting. I, I've done stuff for PBS on Leonardo da Vinci sprinting across Europe. So by the time I went to shoot into blindness, I was very comfortable soloing a project. So I went in, especially for a three minute video, yeah. one camera, one tiny little square light that we actually had the nonprofit guys running around with on a monopod. And um, I think it was like two lenses and a tripod, and but not a good tripod, like a travel tripod. And um, I really wasn't expecting this to be a feature. So I thought, you know, we'll shoot an interview, we'll shoot some B-roll, we'll go home, it'll be cut in like a couple of weeks. But I got there and I watched Dr. Samuel, like I said, it completely inspired me. And so I immediately had to change my method. So I actually developed a language with Dr. Samuel and with the people we were interviewing through translators to kind of hold position so that I could move in, get a second angle, get a second shot. And then we had to keep going. Um, if I'd had all the budget in the world, we would have shot with you know several cameras, yeah. like proper documentary, but shooting one camera, it was actually really fun because I got to think, you know, very progressively of what do I want the sequence to look like? What pieces do I need? And I couldn't shoot anything else. So like when we're walking through people getting their eyes examined, I had to think I need a wide shot now and that needs a close up. And I had to think like an editor on the fly rather than just garbage collecting every shot that we could and piecing it together later. Um, and that's where a lot of that cinematic, like you can see it in the movie, it feels designed because it had to be. We okay. had no other options. Yeah. But you shot most of the, you shot the footage then? 90%. There were two other teams that had gone out before me um, from the Idlewild Arts Academy. And they provided their hard drive full of footage that we kind of augmented. But 90% of the film was, it was shot in a two week period on one trip to Ethiopia. Okay. So you were going to go in there and you're going to shoot a three minute film. And then in two weeks, you kind of got enough footage for a feature. 
you you just kind of alluded that you're kind of shooting and editing, but what did you kind of start writing at nighttime? You start writing like kind of script notes about like what the narrative was going to be, or did you just kind of like shoot stuff and then kind of figure it out when you got back home? Well, it's, it's, it's a little bit of both because I, I had done stuff with their eye program before. Like I said, we filmed this documentary with this little girl named Sana back in 2011. And she was leading her blind grandfather around day in, day out. She was seven years old, just heartbroken that she couldn't go to school, play with her friends. We watched grandpa had do the eye surgery, take him through the whole process. And that's where I got kind of like, I already knew what the process would look like. I just hadn't done it with Dr. Samuel because at that time in 2011, they were sending out American teams to do this. And now they're working with Dr. Samuel, who's, you know, Ethiopian, which is much better process full time. But I will, I, I will never forget the moment with uh, little Sena, you know, her grandfather's eye patch comes off. They can see it's a beautiful moment. And then they're walking away from the clinic and she had been clutching his hand like this the whole time. So tight squeezing every minute. Even through the surgery, she stood by his side on the OR table. And finally, she let go of her grandpa's hand as they were walking away from the clinic. And so I had that in my mind ever since. And so I used all of that kind of previous experience to be able to target like, okay, I know we need to interview the person before they have the cataract surgery done. We yeah. need to see what their life is like. We need to follow them around you know, for like a day, pick up some B-roll, then have the surgery then do the post-op because before when we'd gone in 2011, we didn't have time. Uh, a lot of people would travel for hundreds of miles to get to the eye clinic. So we didn't even have the option of going back home and seeing what their life was like after. So that was really cool being able to work in the capital city where we could go visit them at home, you know, a couple of weeks later and see, oh, you know, they're doing great. They can see 2020 and do the follow-up. So um, to answer your question, a lot of previous experience helped me be able to laser in on these are the key elements we need to we need to capture. If I hadn't had that, I probably would have missed something. Because you you like I was saying before, like you you kind of center on some individual stories, I guess, right? So I guess it's a combination of like them being like the, obviously the 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 person, the character itself, but also like they're being comfortable in front of the camera, being comfortable with you being like having like giving the rights to you, allowing them to shoot them. Was there any difficulty with that? Well, it's, it's interesting. The, the first couple that we interviewed, um, they actually, they couldn't read or write. And so what we had to do is we had a handwritten talent release that was then translated into their language that they then was read aloud. And then they actually used their thumbprints to sign the film, the talent release. That was really, that's something I've never done before. Um, but the cool thing about Ethiopia is, is people, they're really excited for the services that, you know, Tropical Health Alliance Foundation is providing. And they're excited to get the word out to all of their friends and relatives and family, like, hey, there's a cataract clinic, go and see, like, bring your neighbors, anyone who's blind, because it's such a hardship in Ethiopia. So everyone was really excited to be a part of the documentary. There were no issues with anyone not wanting to be on camera. Everyone really wanted to share the message and get the word out there. It was just absolutely incredible. Take me, because we, with spoiler alert, because it's not the whole film, but you are, you do get into the surgery and yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of incredible. I'm like, good on you for your shooting technique. Cause uh, like, I'm sure you had like, you're pulling focus a lot and like, it's not, this is what you're grabbing is not, 
easy is not easy at all right let's let's just call it that i know you're going to be modest about it but it's you're it's your incredible photographer and i know you have lots of experience in other films uh besides your own but talk to me about the going into this into the surgery like where did you where were you able to shoot how close were you because it seems like you're right there but maybe you're using a long lens i'm assuming yeah we um dr samuel was really careful he is like so so careful about like sanitizing and hygiene in the OR because often he's not operating inside a normal operating room. He's usually operating inside of like a school classroom. Uh, he has a mobile cataract unit that travels through the countryside. So he'll set up in random locations. Sometimes he even sleeps outside overnight and they're doing surgery in a tent. But when they go in, they sterilize everything. I mean, we're scrubbing walls with bleach, we're removing flies anything that they can do to keep that as clean as possible. And he actually has a lower or equal infection rate as doctors do here in the United States. So he's really particular about, you know, keeping things sanitary and hygienic. So bringing a videographer into an OR is always a risk that there's going to be something with sanitation that happens or something with hygiene that happens. So what he would do is I had to stay about six feet away from the table, mask, hairnet, you know, gloves on. And I shot on like a 200 millimeter lens that would allow me to get right down in there in 4k and film the cataract surgery as it happened. Um, and he was not afraid to tell me to get out of the way or get lost if I was encroaching in anywhere. Uh, and that was fine with me. Of course, the priority is the cataract surgery. How many um, times did you, did you film it just once? We filmed, we filmed uh, probably four or five surgeries in each okay. location and then some time-lapse stuff uh, as well. I'm sure the first time you did it was like a learning experience. Like, how am I going to do this? Like kind of figuring it out. Yeah, exactly. And again, I, I had the previous, like the previous experience from filming from 2011. So I kind of knew what angle I wanted. But the thing that we did is we kept changing the angle up in between each surgery so that I could have a different piece to highlight different processes. So like sometimes I just follow his hands so we'd get the cutaway of him swapping tools or things like that. And so when we're telling the story of uh, Mrs. Dadalich, we can kind of cut in and show, okay, well, here's you know him grabbing the scalpel off the tray and here's this different part. So I kind of learned the process, memorized it, and then went in with... Uh, uh, on each pass, I kind of do a different thing just to make sure I got a lot of variety of how the surgery went. And that all gets cut down into exactly one, you know, pass through in the movie for each main character. Gotcha. I'm curious, like, uh, it's, it, is, was anybody, because I know you said everybody was, it was like into, into your, the organization. Is anybody dubious? Because you think, was anybody jaded about like these white Americans coming to my country and like, you know, quote unquote, wanting to help me. Is it like, is there any of that? Like, I'm sure there's got to be a little bit of that, isn't there? You know, that's that's something that we get. We have a we have an Ethiopian on our board, and um, he he grew up in Ethiopia and came to America. And actually, he he went blind in one eye. And I was talking to him about this the other day because we hear that a lot here in the United States, but over there, it's such a different story. Um, people are either really excited about what's going on or they say, oh, wow, these people have, you know, tons of money to throw at programs. Let's see how much of that money we can make use of. Yeah. Um, it, it, there, the suspicion factor 
isn't very high. Yeah. Um, but that being said, Tropical Health Alliance Foundation does a lot to help alleviate any suspicions that might be there because there is such a thing as toxic charity and charity that goes bad. So we have some really key tenets. First of all, Tropical Health Alliance Foundation tries to work with local teams as much as possible. So working with Dr. Samuel in Ethiopia uh, is a lot better than bringing white doctors in from the United States, not just because of you know, suspicion, but also logistics. It costs a lot to fly a team in for two weeks and they can only do two weeks worth of cataract surgery. Dr. Samuel knows the language, he knows the people, it's his hometown. He can go out and turn, you know, turn and burn cataract surgery. Every two weeks he goes out to the countryside then goes back to the capital city then goes back out. That's way more effective. Um, and we always like to, you know, do programs that have some sort of buy-in from the people we're serving. Yeah. So if we're doing our cataract surgery, we actually like to ask if they can afford it for the patients to pay for their post-op medicine. So they don't feel like it's a complete handout. They feel like they're having an investment in it. We see this a lot less in the cataract program because a lot of patients can't afford anything and that's fine. We're there to help. But we have a grain program where we've installed flour mills throughout the country and people will be charged just a tiny bit of money to use that flour mill. And then yeah. that goes back into the local economy. So things like that really help us avoid, you know, we're working with Ethiopia, with Ethiopians. We're not coming in and we don't have any ulterior motive or agenda. Um, a lot of nonprofits Unfortunately, they go in and they're trying to make conversions. They're trying to have a political agenda, some <clears throat> funny thing going on. None of that with THAF. We're there to help. We get in, we help, and we leave the country better than we found it. The, it's it. like an ideology, like kind of conversion, right? Where it's like, we want, you know, it's like there's been wars. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no, it's, it's, the, it's that's, true. The, that's the yeah. genius, right? Where it's like, you, you're going to come into our country and you're going to give, tell us our ideology about how how we should run a country you know what i mean like it's just like yeah and that's and that's totally the opposite what what we have is we'll have beautiful things we we work with across the board on all denominations you'll see a lutheran ophthalmologist working at a catholic convent uh doing cataract surgery on orthodox on muslim on atheist, on anyone who wants to come in and get, he doesn't even ask. And there's no proselytization. There's no trying to convert. There's no telling you you're doing wrong. And it's funded by people here in America who are across the spectrum of all walks of life, face denominations, creeds, yeah. religions, races. And that's, it's, I call it a little slice of heaven on earth because nobody out there is pushing anything. We're just there to help. And that's how we avoid the suspicion. And yeah, and so you can on your website, which is a great, nice website of your film, there's like a, you could donate $50 to the organization. There's a link to the to the organization as well and kind of shows people what what they're what you're doing. It's yeah, it's it's an amazing kind of uh it's almost it's like it's not a promotional film, but it is in a sense, right? Where it's like it's a standalone film, but at the same time you are kind of alluding to what organization you belong to, I guess, right? Well, and that's that's the line we wanted to walk. We didn't want people to walk into this thinking, oh, we're just here to promote THAF. We're, yeah. we're trying to educate and inspire. Um, the biggest goal for this film is not to get more money for THAF. That'd be a nice bonus. But really, we need more ophthalmologists in the country of Ethiopia. And whether that's through funding from THAF 
or whether that's through this film inspiring another person in Ethiopia to go out and become an ophthalmologist or someone from America to go work full time over there. Um, in my uh, in L.A. County um, or outside of L.A. County, there's San Bernardino County. Okay. And in San Bernardino, they have they're underserved ophthalmology wise. They have 153 ophthalmologists for about a million people. Ethiopia, Dr. Samuel, one ophthalmologist for three million people. Yeah. And there's no way he's going to be able to really effectively provide full services for all the people who need it on his own. Um, and when you're talking about $50 a day, I heard a story from uh, the founder of non the nonprofit, Larry Thomas, and he was telling me one day, he said, I had a friend who had cataract surgery on their dog, on their dog. And he said, how much did that cataract surgery cost? And his friend showed him the receipt. It was $10 thousand yeah. dollars here in the united states for cataract surgery on a dog and we can do cataract surgery on a person in ethiopia yeah. top quality best cataract surgery for 50 bucks yeah that's and, th those kind of things kind of like really bother me <laughs> it bothers me it must bother you a lot like it, it doesn't yeah and and it bothered it bothered, not to be uh, down on dogs right but just well, like, they gotta they're our family you know but yeah. like it's and you know and that's really part of why Larry founded Tropical Health Alliance Foundation is because he was never comfortable with the Western profit motive when it came to medicine. Um, and when you compare tropical medicine, which our cataract program falls under, with Western medicine, in tropical medicine you have to maximize the resources you give to someone or are using in a program, you know, because the people that you're serving often. There's no insurance company to bill for this. They yeah. don't have the 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 massive amounts of money that gets moved around in our medical industry. So you have to be very careful with the resources. And he always liked that way of operating better. He was an ER doctor here, and he never really liked how our system was set up. Socialized medicine, yeah, and we do that, we do that in Canada. It seems yeah, to be pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, not not so much here. <laughs> well, that's what you're saying. It's for profit, right? So yeah. Yeah, it's but, a business. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's the unfortunate part about. It. So yeah, like I said, terrific documentary. Like, did you? So fifty-five minutes is the was a reason why it was fifty-five minutes. Like, was that like, or just that, that that's how the best story kind of came out that time, right? I I think it's a couple of things. It's the best story that could come out of that time. It's also really good when we go to um, screenings and festivals and conferences. People seem to like that time slot better than something like 90 minutes where they would ask for a cut down anyway. Um, and then it's also really good for getting on it on broadcast networks. So, you know, more of like a TV documentary, uh, which is what we were targeting. And actually, we may be getting on our first broadcast network uh, in the next couple of weeks here. I just got an email oh, great. Um, last week. So uh, the words getting out and the format seems to be uh, working out just nicely. And uh, well, this is, yeah, this is the perfect streaming service uh, documentary too, where like, it's like, it's kind of like the perfect time. It's the perfect kind of story. So hopefully you'll get some sort of distribution with that as well. Definitely. Yeah. And, and we don't, I don't like making films that make you feel like it lingered too long. I like telling the story as the story unfolds yeah. and then letting you go, okay, that felt like the right amount of, uh, you know, cataract surgery for today. <laughs> so. People can watch it on Amazon prime. We'll, we'll link to it as well. It's doing well in the festival circuit. And so our festival in particular, we send you the audience to you, the audience feedback video. What did you think about what the audience had, our audience had to say about your film? 
You know, that absolutely made my day. Uh, you know, a lot of the times as filmmakers, we make films in a vacuum. I can't tell you how many hours I spent staring at this thing on my computer alone in the middle of the night and wondering, will anybody what like this or ever see it? And getting that feedback video, that's the best thing any film festival has done yet, both for me as a filmmaker and for promoting the film. It was so meaningful for me to see that and, and to know that it was being watched and appreciated and audiences got it. They understood what we were trying to do with the film. And that, that was a really big uh, confidence booster for me as a filmmaker. Um, really, really cool. And I'm so thankful you guys are doing that. And, and all the promo work that uh, uh, the Wild Sound Festivals have been doing for this film, it, it really is a cut above what most festivals provide. And I really appreciate that. I really do. It's a great film, so no, no problem at all. So you're you're work so you're working on a on a on a on a narrative film right now, a narrative feature film right now. Yeah, yeah. I got a, a phone call um about six months ago from an old producer friend of mine, and uh he pitched me the craziest horror thriller set in the 1800s gold rush in Alaska in the Yukon, uh following a family up there going through some crazy stuff that I can't really talk about yet. Um, it's called The Cold Quiet and it's going to be bonkers. Um, so we're just getting finished writing the second act of the film and we uh, were hoping to take it to Shutter or Paramount or some other uh, uh, services to get some funding and go shoot it because I think it's going to blow people out of the water. It is nuts. So I'm very excited for that. So like you said, you're going to flip-flop from like from documentary film to narrative and sort of like, it seems like the action or kind of like, like thriller or kind of intrigue is, is your kind of. Yeah. His, for narrative work, I guess. Somehow I, I, I keep falling into historical thrillers. Uh, so I guess yeah. that's where my hat's going to hang and yeah. I'm not, I will not complain because I I'm a, I'm a history nerd and uh, I think it's really fun. Um, but when I go back, I'm probably going to have to go back to Ethiopia soon because we actually just, because of the end of blindness, we got such positive support and feedback and some donations. We actually just opened up a second team in the northern part of the country uh, out of the University of Gondar. And they're going out two weeks at a time. They just did their first camp last week and they just did 200 cataract surgeries. That's so amazing. now- it's amazing. And now we've done 25,000 cataract surgeries. So when the movie was released, I think it was saying about 24,000 had been done. So we've done a thousand since the movie was finished. And uh, we're hoping now we have both teams, one working in the West with Dr. Samuel and one copying his model in the North. And we're so excited for that. And we opened another clinic in South Sudan just this summer. And we're getting that spun up to speed. And I think they've done about 50 cataract surgeries there but they're, uh, they're getting, there's more logistical issues in South Sudan. It's, it's a little more difficult. So uh, I might have to go out and film some more and do maybe not another feature, but certainly a little follow-up video. on. Well, everything you're, a very, you're a very talented uh, individual. You're a very good editor because you edit this as well. You're a very great cinematographer. You do some really outstanding interviews as well. You're made for it to be a documentarian. So I'm sure you're just beginning your career. And uh, looking forward to chatting you. Uh, hopefully, next time, when either you're uh, you're you're kind of like uh, you're you're either your one of your action adventure films or your next next documentary film because it's I like I love this film a lot. It's like I, it stands out for me. I love the donate as well. I'm not just saying that. So just uh, keep at it, and let's talk again soon. 
Well, thank you so much. And it's been just a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Schlemiel, Schlemazel, Heisenbeck Incorporated. We're going to do it. Give us any chance, we'll take